tonight on This is Vinyl Tap, Symbionese Liberation Army, Massacre, and Submarine Commander. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight is the album war. I don't know who the hell Tony Flagle is, but you're listening to Austin's This is Vinyl Tap. This is Joey Ramone here. <laughs> <laughs> Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM Longclair record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight is the album war between the two giants of punk rock. Tonight we have the American band, the Ramones, versus the UK band, the Sex Pistols. On In one corner we have Tony with the USA, a great surprise to everyone. And in the other corner with the British, we have Jonathan Rowe also known as J.M. Rowe. Okay, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Doug, why is it a surprise that I'm on the U.S. side? <laughs> well, we've been through that before. You You've been inter- introduced us to Canadian bands and uh, it's Genesis. All about Canadians. You hate the Blues. You hate the Almond <laughs> Brothers. Mm-hmm. That, yep. makes me a, that makes me a fine American hating the Almond Brothers. <laughs> He's All more right. East Coast American than. I'm going to start American. us off by pissing off everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I'm the peacemaker on this program. <laughs> I'm the I'm the one that cares about other people's feelings, and uh, but tonight I feel like I have something I need to say. I believe that we are about to re- review the two most 
overrated bands in the history of rock and roll. And both of y'all have the task tonight of proving me wrong. <laughs> Tony, I, let's start with the United States because we invented punk rock. Something that I love to say all the time because the British think they invented it frequently. Well, I I I just want to say that I, I agree with you in terms of oh, the sex crap. pistols. In terms of the sex pistols. Oh, okay. I don't think the Ramones are overrated at all. I think the sex pistols are because what will be shown tonight is <laughs> while the album has some decent music on it, the sex pistols were all um image, very little substance. And hence, they are no more, and we're no more after this album. Essentially, they're one and out because they were they were just nothing but uh, attitude and and an image, and and that doesn't go very far. JM, um, um, okay, I'm going to dis- about your band there, and I would say of all the boy bands, that the Sex Pistols <laughs> are one of the most talented. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to look at them that way, they were kind of a boy band put together by a. Uh, very uh, canny uh, manager, but um, I think the way that I look at the Sex Pistols is more like they were a candle that burned burned very brightly, and therefore their the candle didn't last very long. I do oh, think well. that they came out screaming. <laughs> throw up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, th- I, I think the candle burned out th- long before. That you never did. You know, but Jam, let's just talk. Let's just talk about this for a minute, okay? Um, you can you're trying to disagree with what I said. The one guy in the band who had had, I think, without question, the single most talented guy in the band, Glenn Matlock, was kicked out so that they could get a guy who couldn't even play bass to join the band because he looked so good. Okay, um, so here's the reason why he got kicked out, and we can, okay. I don't need to jump in the head feet, history. Because he watched no. his feet, right? <laughs> he didn't. He actually did not like the direction that the Sex Pistols were going. They thought he thought that they were getting too far out of the pop mainstream, and he didn't like the way the songs that uh, Johnny Rotten was writing. He didn't like the way that the songs oh. were not being produced, and he thought that he was a little bit more of a musician than just a snarler you know ding 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 ding. (laughs) agreed but here a couple of things one is i think a little too much emphasis i love calling the sex pistols a boy band i think that's hilarious but i think a little too much emphasis is put on that because before johnny rotten joined the band they were uh, so i believe glenn matlock worked in malcolm mclaren's shop and he did and and, uh, the other two guys would come in all the time and they started in 75 playing around yeah. before before yeah. Johnny Rotten came on. Uh, I, I don't know how you can say that he was he didn't like the direction of the band when I think it's pretty well documented that he wrote or co-wrote all but two of the songs on the album. That's true, but he didn't like uh, a lot of the words that um, Johnny Rotten was writing. He didn't like the way that uh, some of his bass parts were being kind of dumbed down he and he didn't he wanted to play more if you look at that uh, documentary that was made of it, he wanted to just kind of flesh the songs out more he thought they were just going into it too rapidly and just not trying to build the songs up and oddly enough when, i don't know if we want to get into this right now but i mean the producer they were working with was uh you know eventually chris thomas right. who was 
you know, the engineer for the Beatles who helped with, uh, you know, eventually went on to work with the Pretenders and yeah, Roxy right. Music. And yeah. And well, so he's isn't I, I don't know. I wasn't there, but it seems like it's pretty uppity for someone playing bass to try to take a leadership <laughs> role like that. OK, let's let, first of all, I think that's that's a that's a funny thing. You mentioned that because the both of these bands, the basis for both these bands were instrumental in the song. I mean, Didi Ramone wrote a, a bunch of songs. He was the main songwriter, I want to say, for this band for the for early part of their career. Um, yeah. Tommy helped out some. Joey wrote some of the songs, but Dee Dee wrote the vast majority of the songs on that. And Glenn Matlock, the same thing. You know, I I heard that uh, I heard one of the things Steve Jones hated about Glenn Matlock was he was always trying to show him Beatles chords. I don't want to play any <laughs> bloody Beatles yeah, chords. Like, any. oh, you want you don't want to play? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That's that's a proven that's a proven downside, yeah. right? Knowing how to play yeah. the, like the Beatles. Um, just just real quick, since we we're talking about Americans and inventing punk um you know the sex pistols bristle at that because they were sort of a band in 75 but um the term punk is i think attributed to a magazine that came out around the same time uh, legs mcneil and um oh god i can't remember the other guy's name who started it it was a music magazine in new york called punk um and and uh and the and the and the ramones uh, as much as these bands or as much as the Sex Pistols dismissed it later on, influenced the hell out of all those bands over in the UK. In fact, if you ever watched uh, um, the um, Ramones documentary, which is fantastic, I highly recommend it. What's it called? Um, I believe it's called End of the Century. Um, it's a fantastic documentary. Um, and Joe Strummer's all over the latter part of it, which is, which is mm. great. Um, and Joe Strummer even said... That um, that uh, the the Ramones came around at this at the same time, and that the UK wouldn't have or at the right time, and the UK wouldn't have had a movement had it not been for the Ramones because they filled this gap between the the death of pub rock, which is what was happening in the UK at the time, and mm -hmm. and and the advent of this kind of punk movement. They filled this gap and influenced all these bands. And the other thing the uh, the other thing the documentary makes note of is that when the Ramones toured in the US. Uh, the first time they toured, um, you know, the, all these kids came to play. And the second time they toured around the U.S., all these bands had popped up because they had, you know, people saw them and said, hell, I can do that. Um, I don't mm. think anyone did it quite as well. Um, and and I, think that, I think it's fair to say, and I think the Ramones would probably admit this, that they had a formula. They had a formula in the way they dressed. They had a formula in the way they sounded. Um, but it, it worked. It seems like they had a formula for the way they named themselves. <laughs> well, they're named after a Paul, a Paul McCartney alias. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's so. I guess when he when even before they were super famous, when they were, when the they silver, were silver, silver Beatles, Silver Beatles, he called himself yeah. was it Paul Ramone without Paul the E. Yeah, and so Dee Dee Ramone decided he was going to call himself Dee Dee Ramone, and the rest of the guys thought that was cool, and so they they took that name on, and they were yeah. the the brothers Ramone. You considered uh, Didi the leader of the Ramones? In what way? He's well, the heart and soul of that band. 
Well, that's what I think, but I'm trying to get you to say what you think. Uh, no, I, th- I think Dee Dee Ramone is the heart and soul of that band. The Ramones aren't the Ramones without Dee Dee and his his sensibilities. Um, no, the leader of that band was likely Johnny. He's the one that held everyone everything together. Even though, I mean, there's you know there's stories about them touring later on. They hated each other. They oh, get yeah. in the van. They wouldn't speak to each other. But he kept that machine going. Probably some might admit a little too too far. Is uh, it well uh, into the 90s? But isn't it interesting that? Um, both of these bands all hated each other. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, is, that a, that. is that a classic element of punk rock? I do want to go be. through the uh, the elements of punk rock, but I did f- find it extremely interesting that all the Ramones hated the other Ramones, and all of the uh, uh, Sex well, Pistols hated the other Sex Pistols. And I, you know, it was and I understand. I would, it was I would Glenn uh, Matlock. hated all of them too. <laughs> Glenn Matlock and John. Uh, Johnny Rotten famously did not get along. And I just read an article recently where Glenn Matlock said, yeah, but we just didn't want to write songs about how we hated each other. And so instead we tried to find common ground and write songs. We thought that we could actually, you know, where it would be a place where we could actually get along for a little while. So they would just get together and get faced in um, some sort of uh, pub. and just uh, tried family program then oh, we don't click the deal that says <laughs> they would just go in yes they would go into the pub and heave a few and trade uh lyrics back and forth on with each other and uh just see what would happen and see what would stick and sometimes glenn matlock would not be very happy with what um actually wound up being recorded on tape hence his uh exit from the band well but uh, and the the other distinction, JM, is that um, uh, oddly enough, as much as the Sex Pistols hated each other when they were playing, unlike the Ramones, those guys have good things to say about each other now. Yeah, which is which yeah. the Ramones. I mean, Johnny didn't even go to Joey's funeral, Jeez. and the only person dead from the uh, Sex, Sex Pistols, Pistols, oddly enough, is. Uh, um, is Mr. Image himself, Sid Vicious. Yeah, Mr. Sid Vicious, who played Which I, I don't on even know if he really counts as a member. If they had a guy behind the curtain playing bass for him. Well, I think he plays a little bit of bass on that album. He does. And he obviously plays on he, played, he, played, he played live. They um, say that they started fading him out during that the recording of that album till there was nothing left. Yeah. Well, it's hard and, to and imagine he, that somebody could be so inept that they couldn't even play the bass. Um, well, uh, here's another funny thing about uh, <laughs> inept basis. So just a little brief aside, uh, when television was getting started, which is Richard Hell and uh, Richard Lloyd and Tom Verlaine. Really great band. Hopefully we'll do their, their debut at some point on the show. Uh, they were looking for a third guitarist or second guitarist, rhythm guitarist, and they put an ad in, in the in the New York one of the New York papers, underground papers, and asked you know asked for it and said no talent needed. And Dee Dee Ramone showed up, <laughs> and 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 they're trying him out, and all he knew was bar chords. So they're like, okay, this is in C, and he'd say, okay, C, and he start playing. They go, C, it's in C, and they're yelling at him, <laughs> and he'd look at them, and he put his hand on the fret. And they'd shake their head no, and he'd move it up one. And they'd shake their head no, and he'd move it up until he got it. Um, obviously, he was he was so no talent they didn't hire him. But uh, yeah, 
as Doug yeah. would say, that's probably why I ended up playing bass. Yeah. Now, here's here's a couple of things. There's, I want to talk about what caused punk rock. And uh, I believe it was during the clash where I mentioned that I think that punk rock is to rock and roll what rock and roll is to music. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, music got it, it, sappy and boring and guys with white shoes up there crooning. And here comes uh, rock and roll to punch everybody in the face and do it right. And then rock and roll started having some problems. Um, and it wasn't just rock and roll. It was something horrible that happened while I was in uh, junior high school called disco. <laughs> and uh, we had these giant hair bands we had arena rock we had prog rock and worst of all we had disco and all of that was like the archer pulling back on the bow and i think that the arrow that got put into the bow was punk rock that said let's strip it all back down to the bare minimum and uh start yeah. over and but but the distinction between these two bands is that the Ramones did that because they wanted to save rock and roll. And I think it shows the Sex Pistols wanted to kill rock and roll. And I think it shows. I, 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 I'm going to agree with that to a degree, but the, 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 the place where I might take issue is I think that the Sex Pistols kind of took the idiom of discontent, which was largely in the soul and in the, the folk realm, and actually said, wait a minute, we're angry. We're actually angry. Let's make this angry music. Now, what exactly the remote, the uh, Sex Pistols were angry about, that's up for debate, but obviously there was some sort of class distinction and stuff that was going on, and there was some easy, you know, low-hanging low fruit to... Uh, you know, shoot arrows at with the queen and um, just the heavy handed government, I guess, that was going on. Much of the world at the time. But well, there. Let's 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 be honest. Uh, the the British Empire was coming apart, and it was evident that it mm -hmm. was over. And they had a horrible economy. And mm -hmm. uh, but more important than all of that is you have teenagers that hate everything, and <laughs> they just want to tear it all down. And mostly it's the whole deal where they can't get their own room cleaned up. So they think the rest, they want to go out and tear down the rest of the world. And I don't, I don't see that with the Ramones. I think they just wanted to uh, get some kicks. I mean, well, I just yeah, feel they, like they wanted to get some chicks. They, well, there's that, but Joey Ramone loved 60s bubblegum music, and he and they were trying to infuse some fun back into rock. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this album is They don't fun. sound mad to me. No, they're yeah, not it, mad. They, 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 sound like little, they sound like they just 
got through reading Mad Magazine and there. Yeah, now they, well, they probably to... did. I would imagine they were big Mad Magazine fans. <laughs> and I and, think that and, you, you know could... they sound like when I hear the Ramones, I hear surf music. I hear well, they, I hear the Beach sure. Boys. Well, it's 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 funny because they if you look at the covers they did on their albums, they were really about. I mean, they embraced that pre uh british invasion rock and roll stuff they love that early 60s american rock i mean uh phil Spector produced one of their albums and it and it wasn't you know a fluke Uh, joey loved phil Spector and he loved what he did and uh you know in the 60s and and wanted and they wanted that to be part of of one of their albums johnny uh, johnny uh, rotten actually is on he was on the Tom Schneider show one time, and this is this is why I think this is uh, this is why this I I believe this to be true. Although I think he's kind of talks out of both sides of, of his mouth a lot, and, uh, and, and you know, and tries to put on this image of of this nihilistic I I hate everybody. You know, the only the only source of truth is me BS. But yeah, he, sa- he says on Tom Snyder that um, they um, wanted to destroy rock and roll. And, uh, and, and what happened was, uh, the, the music buying public was too stupid to figure that out. <laughs> they thought the sex pistols would be the end of rock and roll and the, and music lovers well, see, were I too think dumb to figure that that's, out. That's one of the things I, I was going to say about this is, um, the sex pistols were a spectacle. I mean, they, that's during the Queens Jubilee when they played, you know, uh, God Save the Queen and just rented the barge, which basically in 1976, where they were, didn't even have a recording contract yet, or they did, and then they got booted from it. Um, they Malcolm McLaren was just very much about spectacle. And mm-hmm. as I was saying that earlier, that was good and bad for him. But I, I do legitimately think that uh, Johnny Rotten, uh, later Johnny Lydon, was actually a pretty angry kid and some of the interviews that I've read with him is like he he talks about he was angry but some of his lyrics might have been not necessarily misinterpreted but they came from a different place than um they were thought to have been coming from and but I do think he was an angry kid and I I do think that um the the music is 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 pretty heartfelt, but at the same time, Malcolm McLaren just kind of fed that and turned well, it into some sort of spectacle that I'm not sure it necessarily needed to be for better or worse because and, they and are I, considered seminal. And I don't know how fair it is to lump all this on them. Malcolm McLaren's a, a real jackass. And yeah. I think, I think history has proven that in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I think, I think the sex. Well, let's being let's talk about it. We have to talk about uh, who he is and how he got wrapped up in all of this thing. And it's a good way to point out that this sound came from the United States first, which which is our main objective here tonight is (laughs) to prove that the United States was once again on the forefront, being followed and copied by the Brits. (laughs) So. Tell, t- who wants to who wants to tell us about this uh, clothier? So, <laughs> so Malcolm McLaren was a uh, 
Yeah, he owned a clothing store, and there was also speculation that a big part of the uh, clothing store also catered to uh, sexual fetishes. And well, so the name were, of the store was Sex. Yeah, the name of the store yeah, that was That would sex. kind of get that idea out there a little bit. <laughs> yeah, actually, if you see the uh, Sex Pistols documentary that was made about uh, 20, 22 years ago, uh, Michael McLaren actually does the whole interview in a suit that looks like uh, something that Gimp would wear in yeah. Pulp Fiction. And just talking about the whole history of that. But that's where he kind of, uh, Glenn Matlock was working at that store and he had a band and I, the, I can't remember the name of the band, but uh, Steve Jones was actually not the guitar player, but the lead singer. And they had another guitar player and they would just sometimes rehearse at uh, the store sex. And then uh, <laughs> they just kept rehearsing and then they brought in uh, Peter Cook, the drummer. And uh, I think Steve Jones was still singing a lot of it. In the, and But then the guitar player left and Tony, Steve you Jones kind of skipped the important part. You mean about Malcolm McLaren living in New York and and, right. uh, and managing the New York Dolls and essentially ruining the New York Dolls? That that story. He went to New York and he heard the he heard the new sound. the New York now Dolls. Let's talk about these bands that well, are the well, proto-punk uh, bands. <laughs> Well, okay, you had the MC5, you had Iggy and the Stooges. Those are uh, two had, Detroit bands. So right. for our Detroit yeah. listeners, which I don't believe we have any, y'all play a big <laughs> role in that. I mean, I mean, the MC5 actually, I mean, they were, that was a historic band. They played the 60, uh, what, the 68, 68. Democratic, yeah, Democratic Convention. They, they, always, they said they always like to play riots. <laughs> <laughs> um with yeah, their song so, "Kick Out the Jams," oh, so which great. was originally called "Kick Out the Jams." It's such a great song. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the Stooges, so the MC five were the big band out of Detroit. The Stooges were kind of like their little brothers. Did in anybody a way. of note come out of the Stooges? Iggy pop. Iggy pop. All right. Iggy pop. And he, you know, his attitude sort of, so, you know, you had this at the same time or a little bit around the same time, I guess it's towards the end of the Stooges. You had the, the British version. This would be Bowie, but again, it was all kind of flash an image, whereas Iggy was, uh, uh, by all accounts, including his own, a real sleaze bag. He was a he was a heroin addict. He was uh, doped up all the time. He would go on stage and cut himself, rolling around in glass and smear peanut butter all of himself. It was all about a spectacle, but it was about just wallowing in the sludge of what they were trying to do. And their music, the Stooges' music, was really heavy and really primitive, and uh, and very difficult to sell. Um, the manager of that band was a guy by the name of Danny Fields, who ends up being uh, important in the story later because he manages the Ramones. Um, but anyway, those were two of the kind of important. Uh, then we early, go to New York. 
Yeah, and then you got the New York Dolls, who were essentially, you know, I, I think this is a this is a very easy summation of what they were, but it'll get people who've never heard them to understand. They were basically an American version of the Stones, except that they played with gender roles. Uh, they yeah. wore makeup. They wore dresses. Uh, not, not all the time. I think they did one show where they wore dresses. Everybody but Johnny Thunders. He uh, he refused to <laughs> dress. Um, he was too macho for that. But they would they would play play um play with gender roles, and they were considered far you know before their time. Yeah, yeah. And they were they were considered <laughs> on the kind of on the edge of the whole glam thing. And the glam scene in New York was not the same as the glam scene in in glam rock scene in the UK. It was much kind of yeah. more demented and scuzzier, if you will. I almost put um, it as like Mott the Hoople. I would put them more in the camp as of Mott the Hoople. Right. Which, no, I think musically they were, but what I'm saying is they were just they were kind of they were considered a glitter rock band, even though they were more rock and roll than any of that stuff was. I think coming out of the UK. And and all of these all of these got one more. Yeah, one One more. more more. Hmm. You mentioned heroin earlier. Oh, Velvet Underground. (laughs) Velvet Underground. Sorry. To nullify my life, because when the blood begins to flow, when it shoots up the dropper's neck, when I'm closing in on death. Yeah, I didn't even think about Lou Reed uh, in particular uh, was important to that whole scene. Um, And 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 when you get to New York, it's all very incestuous. All of those bands interacted, all those people interacted. I already mentioned a a story where Dee Dee tried out for television. Um, I believe the other person who tried out for television at the same time. I can't I'm not going to get remember his name, the drummer for Blondie. yeah. Try it out for guitar as well. Um, I apologize to him if he's listening. I can't remember his name. Uh, anyway, um, and uh, yeah, so all those bands, the New York Dolls were the biggest thing in New York, and all these people would go see them, and they were they were influenced by by wanting to be wanting to do what they were doing, um, and uh, and out of that came uh, the Ramones, who were huge. Well, they, we had two fans. clubs in New York. It's important. We had Studio. 54 54 and cbgb's cbgb's and they're forgetting about forget about max's kansas city that was an important place too that was a big place too yeah and the knitting factory it's uh it's a nice way to uh gloss over history and make it easy to remember that you had the studio 54 where everything obnoxious and horrible and unreal was happening and then you had uh cbgb's CBGB's. What does that stand for? Uh, let's see. CBGB's. Uh, I know it's country something bluegrass. CB. Yeah. Is it country blues and bluegrass? Yep. Yeah. I, I know there's a story about Joey Ramone going in and the place is covered with sawdust and there was dog excrement all over the floor. <laughs> it was a real dump. <laughs> um, I never, I unfortunately never got to go there. I always wanted to, but um yeah, and it wasn't open. It wasn't open very long before television started playing there, and not very long after that, the Ramones started playing there. And uh, yeah. there's this great story about them going on stage the first time. Uh, their set was 20 minutes long, <laughs> and they they fought, they got in arguments. They were uh, when they started, they were all the playing the wrong song. <laughs> well, they were all playing yeah. the wrong song too, and so they were blaming each other about that. 
But once it started, uh, one of the legs McNeil was there and he said it was like hitting, getting hit with this barrage of this wave of music, just hitting you in the face nonstop. And, and it's, you know, when they played, there was nothing in between their songs except for DD yelling one, two, three, four. That was it. And they just launched into another song. Well, that's right the after. way the album is too. Uh, yeah. I don't know any other album where the gap between the songs is so short. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, you almost can't tell when one song ends right. and another so, begins. So if you're going to talk oh. about, if you're going to compare them and talk about another kind of thing about punk, which is the, the, the blitz, you know, fast music, both of these albums are very short. The Ramones yeah. beats never mind the Bullocks by 10 minutes, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. So anyway, we were so, saying yeah, was, all of that history of proto-punk to figure out this uh, jerk taking it all back to England. Well, yeah, he put together we, his boy band. And we forgot yeah. about the big thing, which is an image thing. So Malcolm yeah. McLaren sees Richard Hell. And Richard Hell is, you know, wearing a ripped up shirt. I think his shirt, uh, he used to wear a shirt around that said, please kill me on it. There's also a, a oral history of punk rock called that, but it was named after that shirt that Richard Hell used to wear. Imagine walking around New York with a shirt that says, please kill me. Um, <laughs> and he and Richard Hell had written a song called The Blank Generation. And so Malcolm McLaren took that back to the UK and he presented that to the Sex Pistols. And they ended up writing a song based on The Blank Generation called Pretty Bacon. Which is, yeah. in my opinion, the best, song. the best song on that album. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's to, to say for these guys to now say that that I mean, they even have a song on their album. Sex Pistols even have a song. And never mind the Bullocks. It's uh, anti New the anti New York scene. And it's pretty disingenuous. So um, that's how we get the Sex Pistols. You get a little bit of how we got uh, the Ramones. Now, they're very different in one particular regard. The Sex Pistols toured for 22 years, almost nonstop. You mean the Ramones? You mean the Ramones. What did I say? Sex Pistols? Sex Pistols. Ramones yeah. Sex Pistols toured for half an hour, and then they all... <laughs> <laughs> came apart. <laughs> um, that's you know when when they say, "Oh, the Sex Pistols still get along." Well, yeah, <laughs> they didn't, they didn't really. have to tour for twenty two years. Can, can, yeah, you know that the, when they toured the U.S., they played Houston, they played San Antonio, and actually, oh no, it's San Antonio. That's it. I can't imagine they went to San Antonio instead of Austin. Um, to to go back to that theme of the Sex Pistols wanting to destroy rock and roll. Uh, what they ended up doing before we, I guess, before we get into these albums, what they ended up doing is because they were such a spectacle, they were, they essentially tarnished what, I mean, they, they, they made punk cliche. 
and they tarnished what punk what what other bands were trying to do because no they were too hot to handle nobody wanted to play that stuff on the radio in 1977 because you got guys you know spitting on each other and cussing on tv and just you know doing all sorts of horrible stuff no one wanted to touch it so in in essence while the ramones uh you know, it could be argued, and I think argued properly, that the Ramones invented punk as we know it. Uh, they it hurt them to be associated with it after a while because of well, the Sex Pistols. The Sex Pistols yeah. made it ugly. Yeah, yeah, they did. They made it very ugly. It was not they, one bit. It, it really was. It was a bunch of kind of dorky guys playing very simple, uh, yeah. very roots rock at a very fast yeah. pace. And basically not not trying to tear things down, but making funny jokes about I want to sniff glue and And it's not um, it's not the kind of thing anybody's taking too seriously. Again, it's like Mad Magazine. Yeah, yeah I mean, you can't. It's there. Anybody that takes a sex Sex Pistols seriously really need to kind of reevaluate who they are. Um, <laughs> I, I think because, that, I think then you've got to show show them a mirror because I think all those guys took themselves way too seriously. Well, I don't know. I hear Glenn Matlock and I hear Steve Jones. Peter Cook basically just about anything that they just about anything that they did. But um, in when I was a sophomore in high school, a friend of mine lent me a cassette that had Lumpy Gravy by Frank Zappa on one side and most of the album, The Great Rock and Roll Swindle by the Sex Pistols on the other. And those who don't know what The Great Rock and Roll Swindle was, it's a terrible movie that was made after the Sex Pistols kind of took over England and Malcolm McLaren and these other guys were just basically trying to cash in on the the punk movement that was going on over there. And there are, are some cool parts about the, the movie, but there's also the, the soundtrack is, is, is kind of interesting. It's got Sid Vicious singing My Way. got a accordion band playing uh, Anarchy in the UK. Moi je suis l'antéchrist Moi je suis l'anarchiste Je sais pas ce que je veux mais je l'aurai Je vais semer la terreur dans la rue Car moi Je veux but one of the songs that's on it is uh, Anarchy in the UK, the, the original version. And I heard that and it just something about that. I just never heard anything like that before. So I went back and I actually got another cassette of uh, Anarchy in the UK and listened to that album when I was in high school. I said, man, this, this is fantastic. And it just there's a part of me that just, yeah, 
can't take this seriously. It's funny to me. All this this kind of stuff that they're talking about is funny to me. And I started listening to other bands like the Dead Kennedy. So you've been to school for a year or two and you know you've seen it all. And at his club and you'll go far back east your time don't crawl. Play at Mickey Jazz with the Rachel Snaz on your Bobway stereo. Bragging that you know how the niggas feel cold and the sun's got so much so. Well, wow, this is kind of funny. They do some funny stuff. And then I started realizing that some of the stuff I thought was funny was actually kind of serious. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, this uh, God's, you know, uh, the queen, she ain't no human being. That's actually, he's pretty pissed off at the queen for real. When, when punk rock got political, it stopped being fun. Um, yeah. That being said, bands like the Dead Kennedys, who I like a lot, um, we're mm-hmm. able to kind of bridge that gap by being political, but being funny as well. Cause that's a, they're the, you know, we were talking they, about they, Dylan, they came you know, Dylan. fun stuff. Yeah. Well, we talked about Dylan. We talked about how funny he was. And I don't know how much people think about the, the, a band called the dead Kennedys as being funny, but, um, <laughs> they're, they're, they were getting their point across with humor a lot of times. Um, yeah. Holiday I, in Cambodia. Yeah. Plus, I, I, you know, I, I still contend that the uh, Dead Kennedys were essentially a, 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 just a fast version of a rockabilly band. But the one thing I think, uh, as much as I, I, I find them to be not fun, I will say the one, uh, the one plus that the Never Mind the Bullocks album has over the Ramones album is lyrically, it's more interesting um, sure. because there's actually lyrics on it. I mean, that's part of the point with the Ramones, so I don't want to make too much of a, of a big deal about that. But um, the songs are more interesting lyrically than the Ramones songs are, even if I don't want to sing the lyrics. All right, Jam, you got your uh, your British band with all the fancy political lyrics. Uh, <laughs> tell us about a couple of the songs you think... Uh, the folks at home, particularly the kids who weren't born yet when all this happened, what should they listen well, to? I've got several songs on this album that, that I think are very good. The opening track, I think Holidays in the Sun. It's not as snarling. It's not as in your face, I guess. Well, it is. It's it's not shy, but it, it's um, just a real good opening track, real good introduction to the Sex Pistols. It's kind of the Sex Pistols at their, um, I guess, their most leisurely. There's not a whole lot that's uh, angry about this song. It's just a it's a nice kind of opening song. Uh, Glenn Matlock said it's one of the he, it's one of the few that. Glenn Matlock didn't write, um, but uh, it's one they had sitting around in the can for a while. But it's a, it's a good song. I would highly recommend uh, if you're just wanting to get into the Sex Pistols without getting into the politics and about the uh, um, some of the more deeper things that they do. This is a, this is a really good song. Um, now, if you want to start getting into some of the more um, the meat of the, the songs that they write. I think that God Save the Queen is 
just one of the most complicated lyrically songs that the Pet Sex Pistols ever has ever written. never could tell if he's um i mean obviously saying stuff like god save the queen she ain't no human being is is pretty uh in your face but what he's what i read about later is he's actually talking about that she's been put in such a position where she is in such a uh uh she's being adored by so many people that you can't really look at her as a person anymore. And this was at a time where this was written at a time where royalty in England, especially, was just kind of becoming paparazzi. You know, this is right before Princess Diana and Charles got married, where everybody was wondering, you know, what's the prince going to do? There was all this intrigue about uh, um, just the, the royal family in general. There's a little they were under a little bit more scrutiny about how they were getting their money and all of that but it in as doug mentioned earlier it's kind of the 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 sun was setting on the british empire in general so the song itself is actually about how the figurehead of the queen was uh being kind of the identity of england and was it still and look what was happening to the the royals in this situation like he was he talks in the interview i read he's like i can't would anybody actually want to be the queen or the king of England just under all that scrutiny or a royal? Doesn't really sound all that much fun to him. Well, so those are two songs I would definitely recommend. Go, going back to the, the theme of image over substance, um, I think it's very telling that what Glenn Matlock says about this song, which was it was originally called No Future. And uh, yeah. Malcolm McLaren, uh, because of the Queen's Jubilee, you know, got them on that barge floating down the river. Johnny Rotten says he didn't even <laughs> didn't even know it was the Jubilee, and they changed the name of the song. He changed the name of the yeah. song to "God Save the Queen" because that's the first line yeah. in it. But it was originally called "No Future." It, it is fascinating that this the single was blacked out when it was sold in record shops, and it was <laughs> banned, and it reached yeah. number one in the country. <laughs> so again, all this all this talk about you know being legitimate and being real i'm not saying there isn't some of that but you know that that single went to number one less based on the music that was in it and more based on the all the hoopla surround yeah, hoopla it. around it yeah. it's a great song i don't disagree with you it's a great song both the songs you yeah. named are great songs um yeah. the thing about holiday in the sun though uh it since this is an album war and we're not just talking about albums is uh, if you're going to talk about album openers, you can't. It's no comparison to Blitzkrieg Pop. Blitzkrieg Bop is essentially the Ramones version of Bubblegum. It's 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 their response to Saturday Night by the Bay City Rollers. They wanted to create. I mean that song that song Saturday Night was huge in 1976 when this album came out. Oh, 
and they and they were all oddly enough were all Bay City Roller fans. I think some of the Sex Pistols were too, which is a weird thing to think about. Um, yeah. uh, and uh, Saturday Night's a great song. I'm not going to knock it, but um, yeah, the Ramones. This was their their answer to it, and it's just it's just a great. You know, we talk a lot about openers. Both of these songs are great openers, but Holiday and yeah. Holiday in the Sun and Blitzkrieg Bop. But if you're going to compare the two. Mm-hmm. I think the the Ramones have a bit of an edge on that one. Would we even know who the Sex Pistols are if they didn't get on BBC and start using bad words with their their potty mouths, and if they hadn't <laughs> of, uh, done so much? See, I think that that's the thing I was that's the thing I was talking about earlier. It's like Malcolm McLaren just turned them into much uh, more of a spectacle. Yeah, but Malcolm McLaren wasn't the one having them cuss on national television i mean he that's hated it. he was it's the bbc are you familiar with the bbc tony <laughs> that's not uk and national that, television that they yeah. the government owns the the tv over there right yeah. but i yeah. believe that's still nat. it was still national tv wasn't it or did it just go out in london anyway the, the but, government didn't own the tv here until uh the past election <laughs> Okay, whatever. Anyway, uh, that's gonna what, be on the floor. Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, what what I was gonna say though is that Malcolm McLaren actually wanted them to go on the sh- on that show. Uh, what's the name of the show? The Paul Grundy sh- Bill Grundy show. They wanted yeah, to go Bill on the Bill Grundy. Grundy, and actually, they were second. They were Queen was supposed to be on the show that night, and Queen Queen canceled. And because the Sex Pistols were actually signed to EMI at that time before the Bill Grundy incident, they were signed to EMI. Uh, they got, they got the nod to go on that show and Malcolm McLaren wanted them to go on there and talk about their tour and the, um, because they were touring with the clash and the damned, um, they were doing like a 10 city tour and he wanted to talk about the singles, but instead, um, Steve Jones got liquored up and uh, started cussing and Johnny Rotten started cussing. And, uh, and if you watch it, yeah. Bill Grundy's a real jackass to him. So he, he, was, go- he was goading them. He was asking um, for it. Looked it. Like, yeah. uh, they all deserved each other. I agree. Yeah. But but so the next day that all blew up and and they they had a 10 city tour. And I think they played two two dates on that tour that uh, they were canceled all over the place. Uh, I don't oh, remember yeah. who said it. It might have been Steve Jones, might have been Paul Cook said they had to show up so they could get paid, even though they got the shows got canceled. So they had to drive around the country and show up at these shows where they weren't going to play. Um, and um <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but to answer your question, Doug, I think that a- we absolutely know who they are because of that. But again, it's one of those things that just wasn't good for for the genre in general. If if you look yeah. at what if you look at it at that incident, kind of marginalizing the music in a way that this shouldn't have been. Because I'll, I'll I will I will defend this till the day I die. The Ramones should have been played on the radio significantly more than they were. Those songs are catchy as hell. They're, I don't understand yeah. why they weren't played on the. I can't either. Part. And it's same. It never um, has by made the same sense argument. I will never understand. And this is a guy who absolutely. I'm a really big fan of Nevermind the Bullocks. I don't understand why the Sex Pistols were paid, played more than Ramones most of the time. Because it's they're just it, it's a very niche area, and the Ramones were not. They could have just been much bigger. I don't just gotten the. I don't the believe push. the Ramones ever got. I mean, I could be wrong about this. I don't think they've ever been certified platinum any of their albums. Um, they haven't. And and never mind the Bullocks. 
has been certified double platinum in the UK yeah. and it's platinum in the US, I think. Yeah. They, so um, usually to, when we say never mind the bollocks in the United States, that has no impact whatsoever. Right. But it was but huge in, over there. In yeah. England, that went to court because of its. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess it's it means title. something that we don't talk about at Luby's after know. church. And uh, (laughs) in the United States, it means nothing. And and so uh, I'd encourage the young people at home not to go say that to their British relatives next Thanksgiving. Um, So, Tony, let's talk about, I mean, so I mentioned two songs. You mentioned Blitzkrieg Bop. What would be? I was was mentioning Blitzkrieg Bop in in response to you. I I mean, if I was going to pick two songs, I would like to. I mean, I think there's more songs to pick on this than than just two. But if I was going to if I was going to say, here are the two songs I want someone to listen to from this album to get 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 a taste of what the Ramones are about. um, I, boy, I would probably pick. um, mm, Boy, Uh, Judy is a punk. And and I would pick uh, Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World, which is my favorite song on the album. I, I would go. I want to be your boyfriend. I think well, that I, that's that's song. a close. That's a close third. But that uh, almost sounds like I, a a, a uh, Ronnie Spector type song. No, it does. And and I think that that probably to to say, kind of backtrack a bit. I think that song. I even wrote this on my notes. That that song uh, is the absolute. It encapsulates what the remote the difference between the two albums and what the Ramones are trying to do. There's not a song on on the uh, never mind the bullocks anywhere close to i want to be your boyfriend That song is, as you said, it's Ronnie Spector sounding. Uh, it's it's um, it, it it's got this. Uh, I, we talked about this before the show started. It's got um, a Glockenspiel on it, a twelve-string guitar, and tubular bells. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, you know, it's um, it's the, the my favorite story about it is uh, Tommy Ramone was talking about writing because he wrote it. And he said, you know, we had all these other songs about I don't want to this, I don't want to that, I don't want to go down to the basement, I don't want to walk around you. The only other positive song we had was I want to sniff some glue, so I had to write this one. <laughs> 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 a little positivity to the album. Now I'm on this- It's it's a it's essentially a ballad, but a ballad like the Ramones do it. I mean, if you listen to the strumming yeah. guitar, I mean, if you listen to the guitar on it, it's not it's not um, easy going guitar strumming, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, it's not. But at the same time, it's, it's not. All, uh, it's all downstrokes. 
But I, I, yeah, I also, they're still not doing it as fast as they possibly can. No, 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 no. Um, I, I agree that that, I mean, that's one of the songs I would definitely pick, but I'm talking about if you want to just give some, cause that's, it's sort of an outlier, even though I think it encapsulates the difference between these two albums. It's an outlier in the sense that Judy is a punk is exactly kind of what the Ramones, yeah. you know, um, I yeah. mean, it's got, it's got three verses and two of them are exactly the same. I would say, uh, the last song on the album, uh, today, your love tomorrow, the world. I think that song yeah. is just fantastic. That's um, a good I, song. I, I, I love That's the fact song. that Dee, Dee does it, that there's that play on him <laughs> screaming one, two, three, four in all the songs and he yeah. does it German. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that when that, that coda kicks in that, da, 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 it's just, Oh man, I love it. One of the few um, codas in any Ramon song, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's funny because I was listening, you know, I listened to these, both these albums a lot. Um, uh, like you, JM, I, I, I heard the sex pistols before I ever heard the Ramones. Um, yeah. and I, and I listened to an album a lot when I was a teenager until I discovered other stuff, um, other punk that I liked better, uh, like yeah. who's you, um, and, and the, and the, um, the dead candies. And then the Ramones, when I heard the Ramones for the first time, I just fell in love with them. Um, mainly because yeah. I think they're essentially just a very fast pop band. Um, and, yeah. uh, and we think, all know my love of pop music. So, yeah. Well, the thing that happened with me is um, I remember when I was listening to that Frank Zappa album, I was talking about Lumpy Gravy. The first thing, it, it is a hilarious album. If you, it, There's just all sorts of spoken word parts in it, but then there's all these musical interludes um, that, you know, he gets into his electronic, phase and he has these weird orchestral things and so as i started to get older i was like well the funny stuff's funny but now i'm kind of interested in this this music thing and that's kind of how i felt about never mind the bullocks it's like now that i'm older i'm listening to it with new ears and i didn't think the musicianship on this album was very good but now i'm listening to it going well actually it's better than i gave it credit for there are more than just three chords in the songs and yeah johnny rotten's voice is is an acquired taste but it there's nothing there's not a voice that sounds like that anywhere else I, in the world just like you know joey ramone's voice doesn't sound like anybody else's yeah but um i don't i, I don't and, mind johnny's i don't mind johnny rotten's voice i like his voice I don't I mean, either. it's not something i'd listen to all the time but it fits the music perfectly yeah um, i don't want to go to sleep to it if but, you got yeah, rid of music his voice, uh, I I don't know what you would have left. I think it would do profound. It would cause a profound alteration to the. Yeah, band. I think that's the same. That's the same with both of these bands, though. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, you can't. But Joe, Joey could actually sing. If you listen to the if you listen to uh, <laughs> the the album yeah. End of the Century, um, the Phil Spector mm-hmm. album, he can he actually can sing. He's got a voice. listen to a solo album he does a cover of uh 
wonderful it's a wonderful world that um uh, wow. louis armstrong song armstrong, and, it, yeah. and it's yeah. and it's great it's great um yeah the i guess it, talking about the last last song on the album though is it's tough to do that without talking about the one that came before it um because it's it just uh i, I don't want to walk around with you has that mm. I, I think that's the song where it just um the uh, the feedback just slides right into today your love tomorrow the world so it's sort yeah. of an album version of what they did live you can't i think it was i think it was joe strummer in that documentary said you, when you saw them live you couldn't even slip a piece of paper between the songs because they came so quickly <laughs> after each other and that's the same thing here you know it, yeah. i mean that it ends with that and of course uh i don't want to walk around you has that bizarre solo by by uh johnny ramone on it it's like uh I don't know. I don't even know. It's like a one note solo that winds at the end of each note. It's bizarre. But then it gets in that feedback as they as they as it slows down. It gets that feedback and then just goes straight into one, two, three, four, and goes straight into today, your love, tomorrow, the world. And <laughs> yeah, it's almost like those songs are one song. Um, I thought they actually were one song when I listened. I was like, "What? This is a long song. It's the longest yeah. Ramon song ever." But no, it was two songs. Um, All right. Yeah. And well, speaking well, speaking yeah, of last songs, hold hold on. Speaking of last songs, the last song on uh, Nevermind the Bullocks is EMI. they did their uh stunt with the queen's jubilee they basically they had a recording contract with a m and then they had recording contracts with other record record companies and they kept getting dropped and the last one the biggest one the most lucrative deal they got dropped from was the one with a m and so they wrote emi at the very end of uh that album just to extol the virtues of emi taking a chance on them and there's that line that says unlimited supply kept talking about that and just there was all the stipulations that a and m put on them versus what uh, emi put on them and uh another reason i want to mention that is there's a version on the great rock and roll swindle that's done with a full orchestra behind it and there is no reason why I tell you, it was all a frame. They only did it because of fame. Who? And it's Malcolm McLaren singing the uh, the words of uh, Johnny Rotten. But it's a uh, yeah, it's it's very much worth seeking out both versions they were on they were on emi at the same time like i mentioned earlier there's queen and they actually yeah. record recorded this album recorded in the same this album right next the, yeah right news next door the there yeah there's a story that that uh, brian may came next door and wanted johnny rotten to sing background on some song on uh -huh. news of the world i don't know if he did or not or if that's even true it's really i mean 
it's tough. He says to, he did, but he doesn't remember which song. It, it is tough to take anything that guy says as truth because he contradicts himself so much over the course of time. Um, yeah, and, and he you start, know? yeah, and he starts crying during the documentary about talking about Johnny. I mean, uh, about Sid Vicious dying. It's like Sid Vicious was a mindless punk. I mean, how can you really get upset about him? But anyway, well, yeah, he starts crying over Johnny or uh, Sid Vicious. Of the two bands, uh, whose influence lasted the longest and who had the most impact? Uh, you, I think it's a toss up. I really do. One of the, one of the things that both bands are extremely influential, influential, influential because they dropped the bar and (laughs) they made people (laughs) feel like they could start a band without any talent. And, Yeah, people say that all the time, and that's not very flattering, but yeah, well, then but I, I, extremely influential. I think that there's bands that were influenced by the Ramones, like Green Day, which I have absolutely no affinity for whatsoever. But I, I could almost see bands like... Um, David Johansson, even though he was a member of the New York Dolls, I think there was some stuff that he kind of took away with the with the Ramones. point to nirvana and the rest of the grunge thing yeah, which is another this is the main reason to hate the sex pistols yeah they, well i'm thinking the exact grunge. opposite i think that the i think it went the opposite way I, I look at bands like um uh psychedelic furs who did start off in that kind of punk snarly scene and then went off and did some pretty you know talk 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 i think it's an amazing album i think the psychedelics first psychedelic furs first album I'll say this to answer your question, to give you a definitive answer instead of just a toss up. I'm going to say the Ramones and I'll tell you why. Because if both bands were influential, the Ramones influenced the Sex Pistols. So I think they went out. I'll give you that. Now, now to backtrack a bit, the Sex Pistols were influential with one album. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) Well, tell us another one, Tony. Uh, well, I'll tell you another song on this album I love is Chainsaw. Which is about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Which, which... <laughs> Happened right outside of Austin, or didn't happen, but was filmed right outside of what Austin. What do you mean it didn't happen? It's based it, on a true never, story. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> you didn't know it, that? It, I don't believe that. <laughs> it's based on that commercial where that those people are so stupid, they run into the uh, garage full of chainsaws. <laughs> so, so, was um, that Geico? Anyway, um, yeah. 
that song is, of course, why we're experts on uh, the remote. <laughs> well, you know, there's also there's a there's a, a a bunch of images online of Didi Ramon playing in a Texas A&M shirt. He's got an old shirt with like the poor guy on, you know, with his fists <laughs> up on it playing. I don't know where the heck he got that, but it's pretty funny. Yeah, that song is that song is fantastic. Um, it, you know. It's it's pretty silly. Most of the lyrics on I, I I love the fact that the lyrics, you know, we talked about this before that lyrics weren't a big thing on an album until real or printed on albums uh, in album sleeves until um, yeah. Sergeant Pepper's. Um, but the lyrics were included with the Ramones album. <laughs> which I well, you know, one of the things <laughs> this is something that I, I, I want to say about the like Joey Ramones vocal delivery is like everything is frenetic going on behind him. Yeah, but have you ever noticed just how laconic his his phrasing? I mean, he he's just almost like just talking to you over all of this crazy music, but his vocals are just they could be in a different half the time signature because he's never just in your face singing these songs uh, at the same pace that the rest of the band is playing. Which you can't say about Johnny Rotten hitting every enunciating every beat that yeah he does is, it's coming across well and but, and. You know, as we were making joke jokes about the fact that he rhymes massacre with me, you know, massacre, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre. Uh, there's this story about Glenn, Glenn Mat- Matlock hating, uh, um, yeah, the anarchy, anarchy in the UK, UK because Johnny Rotten says anarchist, or I'm sorry, an- yeah, anarchist, right? But going back to Chainsaw, this song is uh, why a lot of people call the kind of guitar playing that Johnny did and influenced other people is just Chainsaw chords because it's just just, you know, just relentless barrage of music. Um, Very fast. But, you know, it starts off with this wonderful oh, 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 you know, it's really really kind of tuneful uh, 60s bubblegum pop thing about a song about a a horrific event that, according to Doug, (laughs) never actually happened. Um, He's a conspiracy theorist. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) I made up a conspiracy about something that didn't happen. If they can fake a moonwalk, they can fake a chainsaw massacre. (laughs) So I mentioned EMI. And I we I talked briefly about Anarchy in the UK because that was a song that just sort of um, changed my perspective on punk. It was, I just I, I didn't know punk rock from a kick in the teeth, and I just heard that song and was blown away by it. You know, before that, punk rock was one of those things that you just made fun of. On Halloween, you would dress like a punk rocker and you know put glue, you know put a bunch of hairspray in your hair and rip a shirt and wear a blue jean, blue jean jacket and you were punk um, at Halloween. But this was the first, you know, I actually started hanging out with guys that appreciated punk rock. And I remember Anarchy in the UK just being, just kind of blowing me away. Actually, in the musician, like I tried playing, I was like, oh, punk rock's easy to play. No, it's not. That is a very difficult song to play. Um so that I, that that's one song I would I would recommend. There's another song on here that I musically I don't think is all that interesting, but the subject matter I find very interesting. After I read about it, it's one called Feelings.
And apparently, <laughs> apparently, this is something I to give Johnny Rotten a little uh, humanity. His dad. <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. His dad actually worked with orphans. His dad uh, was someone who would uh, make give money to orphanages and uh, help them find food or whatever they needed to use. Like he worked for charities and in one of the charities he worked for worked for orphanages. And one of the, he kind of befriended this girl this one of these, these orphans and he would bring them over to the house and let them, the orphan kind of like help out on chores and stuff. Anyway, this orphan took a liking to Johnny Rotten and would just follow him around. <laughs> and he was just like, I don't have any sort of crush on you whatsoever. I have no feelings for you whatsoever. Don't try to attach yourself to me. And he said at the same time, he felt horrible about doing that. But at the same time, he didn't want to give her any sort of hope whatsoever about attaching himself to her. But it, he felt horrible about it because he said, you know, being in an orphanage is kind of like just being born into prison. You don't really know. You don't really have a family. You just kind of have these uh, people that take care of you, but you don't know them really. You don't can't really form any sort of emotional attachment to them. And he said, this girl formed an emotional attachment to me. Oh, well, that's so, fun. He writes a punk rock. <laughs> well, I, I, this, that's one of my favorite songs on that album. It's to me, the most straightforward rock and roll song on that album. I think it's, yeah. uh, it's probably because of what Glenn Matlock said about it was that it was Steve, Steve Jones trying to be New York Dollsy, which, you know, New York Dolls yeah. are a pretty straightforward rock and roll band. I love the fact that he said that the bass was his, his homage to Trevor Boulder from the spiders from Mars. Like it's yeah, his, heard- his version of hang on to yourself, uh, which yeah. I thought was, I mean, you know, that guy, again, just to reiterate my feelings about him, he's the, he's the musician in the band, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he said that, uh, what was it? God save the queen. He was actually trying to do a James Jamerson bass. Yeah. Part. Yeah. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> um, and the other, the other thing uh, about, I think this song is also one of the songs that's, I, I mean, it's kind of obvious, but it's clever. I love, uh, the line where he's talking about, I've got no feelings for anybody else except for my beautiful selfish at the end. I just find, I don't know why I like that. I find that clever. Yeah. For some reason. Very um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's one of my favorite songs on that album too. Well guys, All I right. appreciate All both right. y'all uh, bringing that up and you know, <laughs> um, you've given me a new appreciation for, uh, for these two bands and uh, I'm excited that I won't be listening to them next week. Uh, <laughs> did you, did you actually, did you listen to these things this week? Way too much. You know, uh, I, bought, you know I, I bought, ne- never mind the bullets when I was in high school, I, because I thought I was supposed to. And, um, I, I can remember never, ever getting into it. I always liked the Ramones, but I could only like them about three or four songs at a time. And then I needed a break. I could never do the whole album thing with their two minutes of downstrokes, but um, I, I, I do enjoy them. I did not 
not get sick of either of these albums at all this week. I listened to them. I didn't either. With so much joy. Um, I have more joy mm-hmm. to the Ramones. Lindsay, uh, my wife, uh, who's thankfully home uh, from her extended stay elsewhere. Um, she She's probably uh, ready to go back after two weeks of punk <laughs> rock. But she she was she was laughing at me because I was in the kitchen cooking. I had my head my Bluetooth headphones on and I was listening to the Ramones album. I just got through listening to the Sex Pistols albums and make album making some notes on it, and then I put the Ramones on and I was just bouncing around the house because it's hard to not do that. It's hard not to move listening to that first Ramones album. Well, it's just you're, so you're talking fun. about. I, I understand what you're saying. It may not be true for me for the same albums, but to have two albums that uh, really you really enjoy and it makes this podcast uh, such a pleasure. Um, I, I felt the same way with Yankee Hotel, Foxtrot, and Layla. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> dig, 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 dig. Right? Um, look. Uh, <laughs> look. Um, I, I'm not going to claim that these these albums are the epitome of musicianship. In fact, they're trying to be the opposite uh, for different reasons, for different mm-hmm. reasons, obviously. I mean, uh, you know, we didn't talk about the fact that one of the reasons Johnny Rotten got picked was because he had a, a Mal- he walked into Malcolm McLaren's shop and he had a Pink Floyd T-shirt on that he had put holes in and written in ballpoint pen across the top of it. I hate. So it said, I hate. Yeah. This. And that, that was like, oh, well, that's good. That's what we're looking for, you know? Um, yeah. I, I just, the, the Ramones, the Ramones just, you know, I, 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 there's just something about endearing about that band and it's crystal clear to me. The Sex Pistols are about what they're against and the Ramones are about what they're for. Yep. I, th- yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And in this yeah. world, yeah. we need more positivity. That's we need right. the, we need positive songs about sniffing. more America. <laughs> I think it's fantastic that the first time the Ramones ever played in the UK, it was on the 4th of July. Hell yeah. And, and Joey Ramone gets up there before they start playing. And he says, happy 4th of July, everybody. <laughs> Which I think is just great. Sure? Tony. Yeah. They're uh, pretty good at keeping hip with what's going on with the younger crowd. Oh yeah. You got something for us tonight. I got something for us tonight. Um, it's not much of a stretch. Um, it's a pop punk band. Uh, I, I've talked about this guy previously, or at least an incarnation of his band called the Mopes. Uh, I want to, I want to recommend the last album that came out by a guy named Dan Vapid and his band is Dan Vapid and the cheats. And the album's called three. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's a little poppier than the Ramon stuff in that it's not, it's a little, you know, a little less muddy, but it's that, uh, that same type of stuff. So if you like the Ramones, you should like this stuff. Um, it's tuneful. It's fun. Uh, it's got, you know, crunchy guitars on it. Um, it, it's just, it's just great. Um, Silver Lining, the opening track is fantastic.
Dead Roses is great. Uh, another great song. The Sky is Electric Blue is fantastic. It's just uh, really, really, really good. Um, he, this is their third album. They've got two other great albums, but I'm recommending this one because it's the most recent. I'd say go out and get it. Uh, support these guys. They're great. I also would All like right. to recommend uh, recommend the uh, end of the century documentary too. And if you're into if you're into punk and you haven't read, uh, please kill me by Legs McNeil and Gillian. I'm gonna not get her name. I apologize, Gillian. Uh, that book is also really really good. And I'm gonna recommend the making of uh, Never Mind the Bullocks by the Sex Pistols. It's a very well well done documentary. That's it for tonight's show. On the next podcast, we'll be looking at one of the few albums made by Peter Gabriel, not named Peter Gabriel, the 1991 album Us by Peter Gabriel. Look us up on Facebook, and, and we're on Instagram as well. And we're on Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Leave us a note. Leave us a review. Let us know what albums you would like for us to look at in an upcoming podcast. And if you know of anyone who likes music or the LP format, be sure and let them know about, about this podcast. We'd love to spread the word. For our host, Doug Cooper... Our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And on behalf of all of us here at This is Vinyl Tap, we want to be your boyfriends. You sure showed your ass in 1785. 1785. Uh, <laughs> you know. And that when the war, when was the Treaty of Ghent? 1776 is when the Declaration of Independence was signed. And we, yeah, but that's we were the, finished that was the their ass a long war. time before that. Oh, by the way, thank you, France, for uh, helping at Yorktown.